Hi, welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Hello, everybody. Today we are going to delve into the deep recesses of Susie's mind. And we're going to hearken back to a simpler time when a precocious young Susie had a lot of questions about Christianity. We're going to talk about these objections and how they still hold up today as adults. And uh, we're going to talk about the evangelical Christian response to the objections. You know, these objections that I came up with when I was a kid, they're not super profound. I'm not trying to claim like, you know, you all should be so impressive with these things that I thought up. They're actually pretty common objections to organized religion. But I did think up of these on my own as a kid. I never talked to an atheist. I I never talked to anyone who had any doubts. I never read anything that was anti-religion or anti-Christian. And so none of these ideas were planted in my head by anyone. So I think that just really shows the flaws of religion, that if a child can come up with these ideas on his or her own and poke holes in it, I think that says something. Yeah, it does. And it also really shows that depending on the environment that you grow up in, if you're given the opportunity to ask questions and think critically, then you will. Whereas like my upbringing, I wasn't really given that opportunity. So like most of these objections, I would have never thought of as a child. And so it's like, it's really speaks to the idea of indoctrination and how damaging it can be. Cause like we had vastly different childhoods, you know? Yeah. It shut down your critical thinking skills. Yeah. And that's something I really had to r- almost relearn as an adult, which, you know, I mean, you know how much harder it is to learn a new skill <laughs> when you're older as opposed to when you're younger. So yeah, let's jump right in and let's talk about your, your first objection, which is around the idea of faith. Yeah, this is probably the objection that took up the most time of my thoughts. I didn't really understand why faith was so important to religion. I always kind of thought it was suspect. You could justify believing literally anything using faith, even things that aren't true. And every religion requires faith for belief. And so how do you know which religion is right? It just didn't seem like faith to me had any basis in reality. I definitely didn't have any of it because I think I kind of realized that early on that it's not trustworthy. Mm -hmm. That's a good word. How old would you say when you first kind of discovered this questioning of faith and and the concept of faith? I was pretty young, probably uh, definitely before confirmation age, so 10 or 11. Okay. I think that the main thing in my head was that if we had proof or any evidence for our claim, then we wouldn't need faith. And so that was always painfully obvious in the back of my head. Right. And faith is a, is a big virtue. But why? Yeah. yeah, that was always, yeah. I was always like, why? And in the Bible, like it says, beware of false prophets, you know, they'll lead you astray and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> How do you do that? Right. Oh, have faith and believe in me and magically don't believe in any of anybody else. But don't worry, you got it right. I'm the right guy. Like, right. How, do, how do you know? Yeah, and, I, and the Christian response, as soon as you hear the word faith, you just go running to the Hall of Faith chapter, which is Hebrews 11, and their explanation would say that faith is not blind acceptance. They wouldn't say, no Christian, and me as a Christian when I was in, you know, the evangelical Christian world, I would never say my faith was blind. I would say my faith is rooted in knowing everything that God says is true and can be trusted. So therefore, if God says it, I can have faith in it. So if the Bible says it, or if a Christian leader says it, or if my pastor says it, or if my parents say it, I can trust that and I can have faith. So it it wasn't some outlandish act of faith to believe in God and all the stuff that, you know, looking at now sounds so ridiculous. You just took everything at face value. 
Yeah, you didn't ask for evidence because the evidence was in the Bible. You know, we talked about this in our yeah. circular reasoning episode. Yeah. And so Frank Turek, I listened to like one episode of his and it was about faith. He said that our faith is based in evidence because we see the miracles that Jesus performed in the Bible. And I was just like, I wanted to bash my head against the wall because <laughs> that's not any evidence at all. Right. You, we don't even know that happened. Yeah. The, the big catch-all verse in Hebrews is like that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And when you really think about that verse, it's like word salad. You're like, well, what mm -hmm. does that even mean? It's like, well, it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But there is no evidence for something that's not seen, you know, like... Right. That by definition. <laughs> right. The classic example about faith, and I could actually still hear this in my head now that I'm thinking about it, of Billy Graham saying, I've never seen the wind, but I've seen the effects of the wind. Mm -hmm. That's how a Christian yeah. would explain faith. It's like, well, you might not be able to see God or see all this stuff, but you can see what he does. And because of that, you can have faith in it. But can you see what he does? Right. Exactly. Phil, do you think that it takes faith to sit in a chair? and believe that it won't break on you? No, that was going to be my next um, okay. thing that they also used as yeah, a way. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah, because they would say, oh, if I every time you sit in a chair, it's an act of faith. Or every time no. you flip a light switch. No, you sit in a chair and you believe that it's going to hold you because there's physics. And because you do it every day. Right. And how many times has a chair broken on you? Right, like, exactly. Very rarely. Right. You're not trusting that the chair is going to hold you. You know that it holds you based on evidence. Yeah. And based on scientific fact of how chairs are built and structural integrity. Same thing with the light switch one. It's like, there's principles of electricity that control flow of electrons. And so it's not an act of faith. So like those kind of analogies are really like non sequiturs. They don't, like, right. they don't really make sense. So. And I don't think there's anything to base Christianity in. Right. I looked for it for a long time. There, like, I just wanted one little thing that I could anchor it all on. I didn't find anything. So as an adult, how do you view the idea of faith? Oh, it's complete BS. Yeah. <laughs> faith is a virtue? No. So up until a few years ago, I, I did want faith. I really did. I, I mean, I've talked about this in our other episodes where we talked about our personal stories. I always knew faith was the element that I was lacking, right. and I really wanted to find out how to get it. Now, I don't want any part of faith. Yeah, it's funny because I actually just started writing a blog post about faith today because I, I, I don't know, I saw something and I was just like, oh, that faith is not a virtue. Like, no. there's no virtuous thing of believing something without proof. In any other aspect of your life, if you believe something without proof, you would be called delusional. Scientologists <laughs> believe things without proof. It's no different. Right. I want things with proof now. So to me, faith is now just like it's merely a crutch to explain away things that are unexplainable. So if something yes. bad happens, well, you just have faith. You just trust God's plan. My now least favorite cliche from Christianity is his ways are higher than our ways. Oh, if I see somebody post something about that and it's you know a tragedy or something like that, it just drives me up a wall because I'm like, that's so ridiculous. You're just, you're just shutting off your brain and saying, I don't understand it, but God knows better. And yeah. even though that was a horrible situation and whatever, I'm just going to trust that there's some good to come out of it. Like I'll go into this more in this blog post. I think there's a difference between faith and hope. Like you can hope for things. Yeah. You can have a positive outlook. You can be optimistic. All that's fine. Faith is a whole different can of worms. So I'll digress. We'll save that for the, the blog post. Next heretical objection. Let's move on to your next okay. objection, which is about everyone's favorite book, the B-I-B-L-E. 
Yeah. And the circular reasoning, which Ah. I didn't have a term for at this stage of my life, but I have a very logical brain. And I was the only kid, like in geometry class, who liked doing proofs. Do you remember (laughs) proofs? Yes. Oh, I loved them. And every other kid hated them. And so I very early on realized that the Bible told us to believe in the Bible because the Bible says it's true, because God wrote it, because God is real, because the Bible said God is real. And it, <laughs> like you just keep going in this circle. Right. And I couldn't see a way to validly enter the circle. Like once right. you're in the circle and you maybe accept one of those premises, the rest follow because it's circular. But I couldn't find a way in. Right. Yeah. You know that song like we sing in, in VBS and Bible study? Yeah. <laughs> because the bible tells me so yeah that's the problem right yeah and that's it's funny because as a christian i think the response to that would be well of course finite humans can't understand the bible because we're sinful and so we need the holy spirit to interpret the bible for us and you know then once you have the gift of the spirit and you're one of god's children well then you can see that the bible is inerrant and that it's infallible and that everything that's in it can be trusted until you get to that point, you're like, well, what's the proof? And they say the Bible. And then a logical person would ask, okay, well, why should I trust the Bible? And then they have a spout of reasons, you know, that say, well, it's inspired by God. It's, it's perfect. There's no errors in it. It's inerrant, you know, all that stuff, which we yeah. tore apart in, you know, a couple episodes ago about inerrancy. But all you have to do is replace the word Bible with Quran. Right. And pose that same question back to the Christian and then see what they say. Right. Same argument. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, that's a, that book's not inspired by God. But Muslims believe but- <laughs> this, they believe the same exact thing that it's On inspired. Faith. By God. On faith. Right. So, point proven. I mean, I think everyone listening to this podcast knows how we view the Bible at this yeah. point. But, you know, what's your view kind of about the Bible now? Yeah. So, now it's basically a book that documents an ancient desert-dwelling group of people's attempt to understand their concept of God. Right. It's a fictional book. Yes. It's like historical fiction. Like, there's his- history mm-hmm. in it, but the whole story is not real. I mean, that's kind of how I view the Bible now. It's, it's got a lot of mythological stuff in yeah. it that's interesting. There's some good stories in there. There's some, even some good, you know, moral principles in there, you know, smattered in with all the murder and genocide and all that other stuff. It's, it's just a book. This is a pretty recent development for me, I think, even being fully deconstructed and not considered myself a Christian at all, I think the discovery of all the issues with the Bible has been very eye-opening for me yeah. to say, like like Bart Ehrman's books and, you know, the research we were doing for the podcast, you know, there's so much data out there that disproves that the, most of the stuff in the Bible is just, it's not even true, let alone the value of it or whatever. It's just simply not true. It's made up. Yeah. And there's other aspects of the Bible besides the errors and how it came together that clearly show it's made up by people. And one of the things that really impressed upon me was something that you wrote about in your blog, one of your blog entries, and I hadn't seen it before. It's somewhere in Leviticus. Maybe we should link to it. But it was like where God said that nobody could approach his altar if they had, and he had like listed a whole bunch of deformities like um, hunchback, blindness, leprosy, skin conditions. I'm trying to think of them all. But the one that got me was he specifically said shriveled hand. (laughs) And my dad has a shriveled hand. He had it at birth. It's like a birth defect. And my dad's one of the most loving, faithful, devout people you would ever meet. And I I just find it impossible that the God of the universe, who's omniscient, all wise, all powerful, would like have a thing against my dad for being (laughs) born that way. 
when God's the one who designed the birth process right. that resulted in my dad being that way. Right. And I don't know how my dad feels like if he's ever read that verse or not, but I just found that as like, that's clearly men who don't understand disease, right. who are afraid of others who are different. Yeah. That's not God. Yeah. And your dad and most Christians would probably just explain that away and say, oh, that's Leviticus. That's Old Testament. That's under the law. Still the same God. Yeah. Yeah. Again, all these, I always find these uh, kind of impressive that you came to these as a kid, you know, which is, it's cool. Next heretical objection. So let's move forward to number three about human reasoning. Oh, yes. This, okay. this is a good one. This one always bothered me because I thought a lot. I'm a thinker. And my dad was always pointedly telling me specifically, I'm pretty sure it was geared toward me, beware of your human reason because we should enter the kingdom of God like a little child. Right. <laughs> right. Ignore the fact that I was a little child. And <laughs> right. I, right. Um, a dumber little child. Yeah. <laughs> enter yeah. as a dumb child. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So that always bothered me. Like, there's nothing else in my life that I would just suspend my my reasoning and my mental faculties. Right. Uh, so why should I do it for religion? Like, why does it get a pass? Um, the Bible does say to beware of false gods. Thomas was chastised, right, for needing the proof that Jesus right. was resurrected. He needed to see that. And I always identified with him. I always thought he was the one who had it right. He's the one who's supposed to be guarding himself against false prophets, right? right. So he should ask to see the proof. Right. And then you could ask, well, if I'm trying to figure out all the world religions and which one's right, what's wrong with that? They would still say, mm -hmm. oh, well, no, you don't want to look at the other world religions because because Satan will work through those things and he'll draw you into those other religions. Yeah. You know, which if Christianity was true, then Satan shouldn't be able to draw you into another religion. Like it, should it shouldn't be, be that easy. It should yeah. be like impermeable, you know. And so. God should have a handle on his people. Right. <laughs> at least throw us a bone, like a miracle every now and then. Right. There's a, a verse somewhere that Paul wrote saying, be like the Bereans because they asked a lot of questions and they, Paul said, don't take my word for it. Like do your own research, hmm. which is in the Bible. Like, and, and pastors would say that, but then if you, yeah, you know, did your own research and had a question, it would be immediately shot down. So the, the yeah. response I think would be, you can dig in and ask all the questions you want, but basically make sure that your questions are answered affirmatively by Christianity. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, my mantra is that any ideology that forbids questioning should automatically be disregarded. Yeah. And that's not just about like faith. It's about anything. Oh, yeah. If there's no evidence for it and there's no proof for it, then you don't need to believe it. You know, no. you don't have to trust it. You know, what is asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. Who said that? Oh, uh, isn't that Christopher Hitchens? Yes. Good job. Yeah, I got I that inscribed on the back of my iPad. Oh, nice. <laughs> Your iPad's going right to hell. My apostate iPad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I like this thing that you put in the notes is that the truth should hold up to scrutiny. Yeah. I forget who said that. Especially if it's a divine truth. Like a divine truth yeah. should be like above the level of any other truth. Yes. It should hold up to anything. Yeah. It should be able to handle any kind of pounding that you want to give it, any pulling at the bricks. Next heretical objection. This is another one that has been cranking on me lately, too. So tell me about your okay. childhood view of prayer. Okay, prayer. So I stopped praying at a very early age, basically when I started to put myself to bed instead of being put to bed. I don't think I really put a lot of thought into it at the time, but it's because I didn't feel like there was anybody listening. I just felt like I was talking to myself and it felt dumb and it felt disingenuous. I kind of knew like you couldn't measure answered prayers in any meaningful way or any mm -hmm. significant way. Yeah. I'd never seen a miracle. My 
especially I think my sister would pray a lot and she would ask me to pray for her a lot. And it was things like, oh, I'm um, having this test tomorrow or like so-and-so is sick. Can you please pray for them? Or, you know, when she got her ultrasound, can you please pray that everything's okay? And right. every time she asked me to do that, I, well, I would say, okay, but then I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the ultrasound thing. Like, does that mean before she got the ultrasound, is her baby not okay? And then I pray and then God changes her baby's anatomy to make the baby okay. Right. Does not God not care about her baby until I pray for it? Right. That kind of process never made any sense to me. Like, if God's in control of these things, then he has them set a certain way. And what is my praying going to do to change that? And if he's that easily swayed and he could do things or change things that easily, why isn't he just changing them on his own? He should be able to do these things on his own. Like, doesn't God want my sister to have a healthy baby? Yeah, and you would think that if you're uh, an all-knowing and all-loving God, then you shouldn't have to wait to be asked. Yeah. You, know, you should have some level of initiative, you know, and also the whole thing of like, I thought humans couldn't change God's mind. So let's say God yeah. had already decided that your baby was going to have Down syndrome and then you prayed and then he was like, oh, well, maybe not. I'll, I'll give down, I'll give downs to somebody else. It you know, like, uh, like it just doesn't make sense. Right. So, Cause you have to keep the statistics up. Like if one year nobody had Down syndrome, right. scientists would be going nuts trying to figure out why. Right. So like, obviously God doesn't work like that. He doesn't eradicate things like that. So right. if you take Downs away from one person, you ha he has to put it into another baby. Right. You got to keep the, keep the offset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was one time when I was like 14, uh, we went on vacation to Williamsburg, Virginia, and I left my purse and my wallet and everything in the hotel or uh -huh. my parents were so upset with me because I was kind of absent-minded. I left things everywhere all the time. <laughs> and they were like, we have to cancel all your cards and blah, blah, blah. And I might've been a little older since I had cards. And I, I prayed like that. It was the first time I prayed in a while. And I was like, God, if you let me find my purse, I promise I will obey and worship and like, <laughs> I'll, I'll be a better Christian and all this right. stuff. And the hotel did call and say they had my purse. And I was like, oh, great. Thank you, God. And right. I, I really like for two weeks, I was a Christian. <laughs> you were like on a high there. Yeah, yeah. I was on a high. And then it kind of faded. I realized I could have gotten my purse back anyway without praying because really all they did was like, I called the hotel. They picked up the purse from my drawer and they shipped it to me. Right. It wasn't anything miraculous. It could have happened anyway. It would have been more that God answered your prayer if you watched your purse catch fire and then you prayed to God and then it came back from the ashes. <laughs> yes. That is an answer to prayer. Lifelong believer. Right. You'd right. be like, holy crap. Like, be, that's, yes. Holy that's crap. This thing. is real. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that drives me nuts too. Like when people pray to find their keys or you'll see yes. someone, someone posted, oh, well, God just opened up a parking space at the front of Target for me. Oh, mother effort that just makes me yeah. so pissed off you're like you think god cares about your damn parking space more than he cares about like rwandan genocide and the kids in ukraine yeah all the shit that's going on in the world that is like literal problems not you finding a damn parking spot so you can go in and get your black friday deal you know like yeah that, that drives me nuts but the christian response to why we pray is most of them will say yes prayer works prayer changes things but it's not you're not changing god's mind you're showing him that you believe they don't ever address the question of like well god already knew it was going to happen they would say oh prayer is for us it's not for god it's for you to demonstrate your faith once again mm -hmm. you know and then of course you had the classic 
well, God didn't answer my prayer, like April was talking about in the last episode. Oh, well, yes, he did. He just answered it in a way that you didn't like, you know? And so it, the classic yeah. thing was like, well, God says yes, no, and wait, or yes, yeah. no, maybe. He could say wait to something until you're friggin' dead. Right. Which means that any inanimate object can answer prayers. Right. Because you can make up how they're going to respond. Like, yeah. And then, yeah, there are some Christians that would say that intercessory prayer is just against the will of God because you shouldn't ask for anything because God already knows Mm -hmm. your prayer is just for praising, you know? So how do you view prayer now? Like it's like, I couldn't tell you the last time I prayed for something because I was going to ask you, when did you, you don't remember? No, I, I honestly don't like, I don't know. I think I have like an occasional inclination every once in a while to think about something like prayer related. If I think something bad might happen, So my oldest child tested positive for COVID last week, right? And I have three other kids, two of which are unvaccinated because they're too young. And so obviously I don't want them to like get COVID and get sick, you know, and and have it be a bad reaction. Like I was thinking, well, what would happen if, you know, my youngest got COVID and then it started turning badly? Would I pray? And I thought to myself, no, I wouldn't. I would go to the friggin' hospital and I would hope that the doctors can do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I honestly can't remember the last time I, I prayed for something. I, I can't remember the last time being aggravated at someone else who prayed for something, you know, because that happens <laughs> every damn day. What about you? Like, what do you think about prayer now? Like, Oh, I think it's just people talking to their imaginary friends to make themselves feel better. And that sounds harsh, but that's what I think, because obviously I don't believe that God exists. And I believe that God is just a simulation that people run in their own minds. And so yeah. they're talking to themselves. Yeah. It makes me think of Evan Almighty, the movie, you know, where Jim Carrey gets sacked with answering all the prayers and he gets so overwhelmed. And so then he just does a reply to all and says yes to <laughs> everything. Yeah. It's been a while since I saw that movie. No one's reading this stuff. Like you know, this stuff is all going yeah. directly to spam. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's <laughs> been fil- spam. Yeah, it's been filtered out. You know, because of course there's no one on the other end of the there's server. No so. one listening. Next heretical objection. All right, let's go to your next one. This is this is a good one too. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot, so we could probably cover this pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. What religion you are depends on where you're born for the most part. Yes. And I always kind of realize this in my Bible study when we were, or not Bible study, Sunday school, as a teenager, we like studied other world religions too, which right. I thought was kind of cool, like for my church to do that. But that just kind of deepened the doubt. Why are we different? How do we know that we're right and they're wrong? Right. I had never thought of this until I read Rachel Held Evans' book, because she talks about that in her first book, Evolving in Monkey Town. The luck of the draw that she was born in Tennessee in the middle of, you know, the Bible Belt in white evangelical Christianity, and how lucky she was to be born into the right religion. If you would have been born in Sri Lanka, oh, damn, you got the wrong religion and you're doomed for hell. The way Christians, I think, would respond to this would be, this is why missions is so important. Because we are so blessed that we, you know, were born where we were and we heard about Jesus. There's millions of people who have never heard about Jesus, so we have to get out there and tell everybody. And then the other explanation would be, well, even if they haven't heard about Jesus, nature will explain God to them. And, you know, there's verses in the Bible saying, you know, even the rocks will cry out that they'll proclaim God to people who don't know. So then you would ask the question, 
Well, so if someone lives in some little village in Bangladesh and they never hear the name of Jesus and they die, do they go to heaven or hell? And that's when you would get the look on the face like, oh, shit. Mm. Age of accountability, they might have been a, an adult, you know, so are they yeah. not accountable for it because they didn't know? It doesn't add up. It's self-centered to think that you are the one that got the right religion. Right. And everybody thinks the same about their own religion. If you're yeah. Muslim and you're born, you think you're following the right religion and everyone else is going to hell. Next heretical objection. So, all right, let's move on to creation versus evolution. So we're going to have an episode coming up with... Uh, yeah, with Lars, our mutual friend. With Lars. So he's going to blow our minds with a lot of stuff about this. But what was your objection to the creation story even as a kid? Uh, well, not the creation story specifically, but just creation okay. versus evolution. Okay. I do have objections on that, but that's coming. <laughs> so, of course, my church was literal creationist, young earth. And that's basically what I heard. And the vibe in my house, although my I don't remember my parents ever saying that evolution wasn't true, but I knew they didn't think it was true. And that was the vibe in my house. Right. But they weren't like militant about it. They didn't villainize scientists or anything like that. Yep. I, when I was like 11, 12, around there, I watched the episode of Bill Nye where he explained evolution. Okay. And that was the first time I had really understood what it was and how it worked. And it made sense to me. Right. It really made sense to me. And especially I remember him talking about how the giraffe's necks get longer. And that made sense. Then I was asking my parents a lot of questions about what about the scientists and how they say the earth is so old? And what about the dinosaurs? And my dad would just shrug and say, well, maybe a day isn't a day. Maybe a day <laughs> is a million years or whatever. Right. And maybe the Leviathan in the Bible was the dinosaurs. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess, but it just wasn't very satisfying to me. Right. And then in my biology class in high school, I had a great teacher. I loved her. And on the first day of our evolution unit, she says very seriously to the whole class, evolution is a fact. It <laughs> is true. And then she just went on with her lesson. I was like, all right. Oh, secular indoctrination. Yeah. They're trying to brainwash our kids. Yeah. I was like, I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I believe it. Yeah. And so I believed in evolution. And I also, every Sunday, went to this place where they had a different view. And so there was a huge amount of cognitive dissonance there. And my family believed in a different thing. Right. So that was really hard. And that was always a constant pull. And, you know, in college, I majored in cell biology and molecular genetics. I took some evolution classes. And my parents were fine with that. They were totally cool with it. But yet there was this cognitive dissonance. I was always being pulled in these two directions. Right. Even though I knew evolution was true, there was still this other thing I was supposed to believe that mm -hmm. taught something different. So that was really confusing. The Christian response, obviously, would be, well, evolution is a theory, too. That's what they would say. Anytime you hear a Christian talk about evolution, they will always call it evolutionary theory. But if you call creation a theory, then they'll be like... Oh, no, no, that's not a theory. Even oh. though by their definition of what a theory is, meaning yeah. that there was no one there to witness it, that makes it a theory. Creation has to be a theory then, too. True. That's a very good point. So their response is, well, evolution is a theory. There was no one there to witness it. So there's no proof that it actually happens. And why are there still monkeys? <laughs> right. And why are there still monkeys? And also, they don't understand the word theory in a scientific context. It's not like the general use of the word theory. Right. It's different. It's basically... 
the best explanation. Right. Yeah. When we accept evolution, that brings up a whole host of problems theologically that I don't right. really understand how people work through, but I know people do. They somehow resolve the cognitive dissonance. But to me, I don't see how it's possible. You don't have two first people, right? right? It's like a spectrum and you can't identify any two people or any point in time where Homo sapiens began. It was just so mm -hmm. gradual. Yeah. And so what does that mean for original sin? We don't have a sin nature. Right. We're, we're just good people and bad people, which means we don't need saving from anything. So what did Jesus come for? Right. What is the whole point of Christianity? That's exactly why answers in Genesis, they, and they come right out and say this. And, and apologists will say, like, if the creation story isn't true, then the rest of Christianity is worthless. And I've heard Ken Ham say that. Yeah. Like, and that's why they fight so hard for the, the Genesis story being true, because they know if it can be disproven, that everything else that follows basically has to be bullshit. <laughs> and so. I have to say that I align with that pretty closely right now. Yeah. Um, you know, views always change. And I have tried to understand the view of theistic evolution. And that's why I'm in the, um, there's a Facebook group called Answers to Answers in Genesis. I don't know. Uh, are you in that? I don't think I'm in it's that. It's Lars's group. He, okay. Um, he's a, oh, I didn't know there. he was a group. I saw him mention it, but. Yeah. There's some atheists in there, but it's mostly Christians who believe in evolution. And I'm fascinated by them. I really want to understand them. And so, well, we, it's a whole other topic, and I want to ask Lars about it. But yeah, we'll be digging a lot into creation versus evolution in, I think that's our next uh, episode, so that's going to be fun. So yeah. stay tuned for that one. Next heretical objection. All right, so your next objection has to do with uh, the inequality of women in the Bible. Yeah, so I did not like being told that I should be submissive to my husband. I didn't like being told that I couldn't <laughs> preach or teach a man. Right. There's all these different things in the Bible that shows that women are second rate. Right, second class citizens. Even just little details like probably in Leviticus, that when <laughs> yeah. a woman gives birth to a son, she's unclean for X number of days. And then for if she gives birth to a uh, daughter, that time is doubled. Right, the time it's that doubled. she's unclean is doubled. Yeah. And my footnotes are like, it's not clear why the, why the <laughs> times are different. And I'm like, well, yeah, because is. of the misogyny. Yeah. Yeah. It's called patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that always bothered me. I found it very unlikely that an omniscient God would pigeonhole one gender to a certain role and to, and to be underneath another. I just don't see what body parts have to do with anything. Right. The way Christians would respond to this now is that submission doesn't mean what you think it means. This is a classic Christian response. Submission doesn't Ugh. mean what you think it means. Biblical submission is mutual. It's not like someone's in charge and the other person has to listen like a job. It's that we submit mutually to each other because no one wants to talk about in, in, in Ephesians where that verse is where it says, wives submit to your husband. The next verse does say, submit to each other, but no one ever talks about that. But then when you get challenged on the submission issue, they say, well, it says submit to each other, but no church is doing mutual submission. You know, no. they're not, you know, it's the men are in charge, the women are submitting. And it's also based on like God given roles, you know, gender roles are God ordained. Yeah. If women are relegated to these certain roles and everybody's expected to fall in line, how boring is that? Yeah. Like every woman is supposed to get married and have a bunch of babies and little perfect Christian babies. And then Everybody does the same thing, be, right. be a homemaker. Like there's zero part of me that ever wanted to be a homemaker. I always wanted to be a vet. And my dad would always warn me that if I was a vet, I wouldn't be able to have kids. 
like I wouldn't have time for them and I shouldn't have kids. You're like, and the downside is? <laughs> right, right. But at the time I was like, well, I, I want to leave that door open. Right. I'm not saying that I'm not a vet now because of what my dad said to me, but it was right. definitely there in the back of my mind. Right. And at, in the end I was like, well, it's a lot of school. It's really expensive. And also what my dad said. Right, right. That's just like in the list of things. Yeah, yeah. The whole the whole role of women thing, like in my upbringing, it was very complementarian. You know, women were submitting. Women couldn't teach, uh, you know, over a man. They could teach Sunday school. They could teach kids. They could teach uh, ladies ministry. But, you know, you wouldn't get a woman up from the main pulpit to do anything but to sing. She could sing, but, you know, she couldn't preach. Um, oh, ooh, that reminds me. Can I tell a little story? Oh, yeah. Okay, so at my last church, the one that we left, you know, when I was secretly an atheist, we were voting on a new school headmaster uh -huh. for the K through eight school that's attached to the church. Right. And there were like a few candidates, there were three candidates, and one was a woman, which I was like really excited about. I was actually really impressed that they had included a woman. And she was actually the best candidate. Right. I voted for her. And she didn't win. But afterwards, I was talking to this older lady who goes to the church. And I was telling her, you know, oh, I really thought this woman was really good. And she was like, oh, she was really good, but I didn't vote for her because she's a woman. And I was like, what? You like self-loathing much? <laughs> and she's like, well, we should have a man in that position. And I lost it. <laughs> like, I can't believe how I acted in that church. But I was like basically yelling in the hallway. Like, how could right. you say these things? And right. That was another, I should have said that in my personal journey story. That was, that was another stepping stone of on the way out. Yeah. I was like, this is BS. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the existence that Christianity wants women to have is boring is one way to put it, but then the word I'm thinking of, I can't think of. It's like diminutive. They just want them to be small. Demeaning? Yeah, it's demeaning and they want them to be small. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can be awesome in your home. You can be awesome with your kids, but... Only in certain roles. You yeah, that's awesome. only... Yeah. That's as far as it's going to go. You know, like, I don't... If, did you see April's... uh TikTok about the Mother's Day. Yes, yes. Uh, it's so funny. I mean, He's and that's so good. that's spot on. Like, if, if people haven't seen that, go follow April Joy's TikTok because yeah. that her and Beecher do a really funny sketch about Mother's Day and the, and women's roles. So, when you're married, and April and Beecher talked about this too. Like, your roles shouldn't be tied to your gender; they should be tied to who you are as a person yes. and what works best for your family. You know, and that's yeah. the same thing for a church or any organization. Like, your gender has nothing to do with it. Next heretical objection. How about Old Testament laws? You had some ob objections to that. Yeah, so we had, we already talked about a lot of these laws already, but I don't think we need to really name them, but just go like look at Leviticus and Numbers <laughs> yeah. and Deuteronomy and yeah. you'll see them. I remember as a teenager, my brother and I sitting in the back of the church reading Leviticus and we were like looking at each other like, what is this? <laughs> And we were like, this is weird, right? We're not crazy. This shit is weird. Right. And we were kind of like floored that this was in here and the adults believe it. They're right. cool with it. It just seems so weird and out of left field because they don't like read this during church. Like it's not yeah. the Old Testament reading. <laughs> There's no responsive reading for Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Yeah. No, you kind of have to discover it on your own. Yeah. And we discovered it and we thought it was really, really strange. Yeah, yeah. The Christian response, of course, is that, you know, the Old Testament is not what we're required to follow now because we're under grace. You know, so the law pointed to Christ and that Christ came to fulfill the law. So now we don't have to follow the law and that the law was a foreshadowing of things to come. That's how every Christian will explain <laughs> Old Testament laws. And 
when you're a Christian, that sounds really good. Because you're like, okay, good. I don't have to follow the Levitical laws. and But you'll never see them say that those laws were created by man. They'll say that those were God's laws. And God changed his mind. But no, no, they don't say God changed his mind. They said Jesus fulfilled the law. What does that even mean? Right, exactly. So he basically met the requirements of the law because he was perfect and had never broken any of the law. So now his sacrifice on the cross basically fulfilled the law and the resurrection gives us power over the law. That doesn't make any sense. Well, no, of course not. But, you know, it makes perfect sense to them. (laughs) But it's the same God. Right. Why was God ever creating these laws where women had to go out, sleep in a tent when they were unclean? Right, right. That's still God. Right. It doesn't matter what Jesus did. That was God. Jesus is God. What's funny is that the verse that says that God is unchanging is in the Old Testament. <laughs> so, oh, that's ironic. So you're using the Old Testament. And that, and that was my other favorite thing is like, they'll say that the Old Testament doesn't apply to today. But then in certain situations, the Old Testament is what they use to reference, you know, why God is against certain sins like homosexuality or why God is anti-abortion, you know, because Psalm 139 says, you know, I knew you in your mother's womb, you know. So how can the Old Testament not be for today, but then it's also still for today. Again, it's more cognitive dissonance, you know. The, The bad parts are conveniently fulfilled. Right. The bad parts have been fulfilled, but the ones that keep the gaze away... We're keeping those. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to keep those. We got to keep those because they've got an agenda. So, yeah, yeah, the idea that God is immutable or unchanging definitely falls flat if you, you start talking about the Old Testament for sure. Next heretical objection. That leads to kind of the next thing atrocities committed by God. Yes. And I have to say, when I was a kid, I was not aware of all of the atrocities like I am now. Right. But the ones that were on my radar back then were drowning everybody in a flood, Mm -hmm. uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham's almost sacrifice of Isaac, and the slaughtering of the babies on Passover. Oh, yeah. Like in in Egypt, you mean when the the death angel came over and killed the firstborn? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like I thought that was pretty rude. (laughs) Rude. Yeah. Rude's a nice way to put it, I guess. I'm sure the Egyptians felt a little bit different about it, but... Yeah, so I had a hard time reconciling the loving God with that, all that. Right. Yeah, I mean, the the Christian response to all of these things would be that all of these acts were to demonstrate the awesome power of God, and that His holiness and His people were not to be trifled with. So, if you were an enemy of the people of God, well, then you were an enemy of God, and therefore your slaughter was righteous and justified. So, love was only for God's people, it wasn't for the heathens. They probably wouldn't say that last part. I threw that in because that's yeah, kind of how I knew. You know, th- right. th- but definitely they would say, if you were against God or you were against Israel, well, then it's no big deal for God to send in the army and to kill every man, woman, and child in that city. Or just kill all the men and children, but keep the virgin women for yourself. Yeah. But okay, so who was the guy who touched the ark by accident because it was falling and he was trying to catch it and he died? Oh, I forget his name. Okay, well, he was one of God's people, right? He yes. wasn't an enemy of God. He just happened to touch the ark, and God killed him. And he was doing it to save it from falling down. Yes, he had the best of intentions, right. and God zapped him from above. Yeah. That's not right. The thing that I see now with this, like looking at it as an adult, is I feel like this is like kind of the beginning of where you see the us versus them mentality yeah. that carries over to today. So God's love is only for the redeemed. It's only for the saved for the Christians, any other love that God or Christians might have is not really what you would consider love in the human realm. It's judgment, you know, with the ulterior motive of conversion. That's not love. 
next heretical objection. Let's move on to um, God's thought process Mm -hmm. and how Jesus talked in the Bible. That's an interesting thing to pick up on as a kid. Like it's a little hard to explain. It was kind of like God in the Bible, the way he's portrayed, thinks like a person. Jesus talked in a very specific way. Uh, This is hard to explain. But God got angry a lot, right? He had emotions. He changed his mind after he flooded the earth and then he said he would never do it again. Right. As a kid, I realized that didn't seem like an omniscient thing. Mm -hmm. And then the other other side of this is that I would often wonder during church, hearing these readings and hearing the words of Jesus, did he actually say those exact words? Like I know not in English, obviously. Right. Are those the words that he said or are they paraphrased? Right. Or did he not say them at all? And I would sit in church and wonder, did this even happen? I always wished I had a time machine that I could go back in time and say, okay, take me back to when Jesus was crucified. I'm either going to see Jesus crucified or it's going to be like black nothingness. I always imagined it like black nothingness just buzzing right? because it didn't happen. Like it's an event that didn't exist. And so it didn't happen. And I always like kind of thought, ah, it's like a toss up 50, 50. It could have gone either way. Yeah, yeah. Sitting in church, I didn't know whether the events actually happened the way they were portrayed in the Bible because it sounded so human. It read like a fiction, like narrative form right quotations mm-hmm. and i didn't know like if these things actually happened and it was nonfiction, is that how it would have been presented right and preserved yeah because normally when you read a nonfiction book like it's a little bit dry and boring right yeah and the bible is written like a story some of it is written like a story that actually is quite engaging in certain yes. places and you're like oh well huh that's actually really interesting that you wondered if jesus had really said things the way he said them because i don't think i ever thought that but i think some of the stories in the bible were so incredulous you were like i remember thinking well that's kind of crazy like how could that have even happened but then you would just believe it because you're like oh it's in because it's in the bible you know so so the christian response to those things i think would be well the words of the bible were written by humans in such a way so that we as finite individuals can understand the infinite mind of god words fail when you're trying to explain the nature of god it's far too high and complex for us little humans to understand okay that's why it doesn't sound right to us because the, the authors would have had to write the bible so that way you could understand it so it's like translating an entity into human language right yeah exactly it'd be like yeah so this looks like jealousy or anger to you because you understand jealousy and anger but it's like peter quill's dad appearing as david hasselhoff in guardians (laughs) of the galaxy 2 it's like that like in a way you can understand it or right like in a way that's meaningful to you okay i got it all right well you've explained that one away so good job i mean i don't believe you but it's a pretty good argument it's a pretty good (laughs) argument right yeah Uh, that's funny because my response to that after i wrote after i wrote that out myself i was like that's just bullshit like (laughs) i I couldn't even convince my own self with my argument even though i was like oh that's a pretty good argument that's pretty solid if you look at other gods that were in the pantheon of history they did whatever the hell they wanted. You know, if they were going to kill a bunch of people, they did it to get their point across. And that's the same thing this God did. Yeah. There was no difference between the God of the Bible and the gods of Greek mythology or Roman mythology. Mm. Well, that was interesting. That was a fascinating little discussion. It's kind of an abstract (laughs) concept of like what was kind of going on in my brain then. Next heretical objection. All right, moving on to you had some problems with the universe. Yeah, well, it's really big. You hear preachers say that the earth was made for us. So what was your problem? And the universe was made for us. Oh, yeah, the whole universe, not just the earth. Yeah, The whole deal is that we are God's precious creations. We're his whole purpose, I guess. 
which is also weird when you think about it. But right. <laughs> it, it just didn't make sense to me that there would be so much to the universe that doesn't involve us. And yet we would still be the center of it and the God's purpose. Yeah, I actually had a hard time with the Christian response to this one because I feel like Christ- most Christians don't even think about the universe. So the only thing I could think of that a Christian might say to this would be, well, it's just to show how big and how great God is. That's why the universe is so big. And the fact that he picked our little planet is just indicative of how much he loves us, which I guess might sound good, I mean, but like, I guess there's not really any way to prove that idea. How do you view this one now? I don't think that we're significant at all. We're just made of star stuff. Well, and look how big the universe is. And look at all the stuff that goes wrong in the universe. Natural disasters, predators. Oh, that on the Earth, yeah. <laughs> uninhabitable zones. How could that have been made for us? It looks like the Earth is trying to kill us. Yeah, yeah, the Earth is trying to kill us. And yeah, but, yeah if we go anywhere else in the universe, we die right away. Right. So, yeah, we're like in this little speck of habitability. Yeah. And not even the whole speck. It's We can't live on lots of parts of it. Next heretical objection. The next objection is that God create. You, you had this idea that God created us to be imperfect. Yeah. Explain that Okay, one. so the creation story doesn't make any sense. And we talked about this in the Cracks episode. Yeah. So we wouldn't have to go into it very far. But if you believe that the creation story is true and that it happened like that, then you have to believe that God made this perfect paradise and then put this tree right in the middle of it. That's kind of like, here's like putting toddlers in a playpen with a bunch right. of toys and then putting a knife in there. Right. <laughs> you don't have to put the knife there. Right. You can give your kids free will to pick whatever toy they want. Yeah. And you don't have to give them the choice of a knife that will kill them. Right. To me, the whole story just seemed like it was a setup. Yeah. You know, God wanted us to sin. It was his plan all along. And really, it doesn't say like how long humans were, or I mean, were around before they sinned, but it couldn't have been very long. And it was definitely in their own lifetime. And it was like the first opportunity they had, they sinned. Yeah. They weren't ever perfect. If they were perfect, they wouldn't have sinned. And so right. God made us to be imperfect, which was God's plan. So all of this is God's plan. Like he wanted us to be this way. Therefore, we didn't have a choice in being this way. We didn't have a choice to be born. We should right. not be punished for being the way that God made us to be. Yeah. End rant. Yeah. Well, and the Christian response would be like, no, man had free will. They chose to eat of the fruit. Well, I already destroyed that argument. Right. Yeah. They would say that if they didn't have the choice to do something against perfection, they wouldn't have had free will because they would have been being coerced into being perfect. There's no there's no logic to that because if you were actually perfect, you couldn't have chosen that. By definition, you can't. Right. And I guess maybe they might haggle about the idea of, well, it never says that they were perfect. It just says that they were without sin. But how would they know to disobey if they didn't have sin? But if, we, if they weren't perfect, that just means they hadn't sinned yet. Right. Yeah. Then why are you faulting them for sinning if you didn't create them perfect? Yeah. You have a funny uh, description of this about the sofa that falls apart. Oh, I haven't read this in a long time. Okay. <laughs> so, the, yeah, like if I made a sofa that appeared perfect, but it had no frame inside or a broken frame. And the first time somebody sits on it, the sofa breaks. Would it make sense for me to blame the sofa and like get mad at it and condemn it to the furnace right. if it broke for being the way that I made it to be? So it's like it's a trap. Next heretical objection. Biological issues as an objection. Okay, so biological issues, people's brains are structured in such a way that they're born with, they don't have a choice, and it impacts how they act, it impacts how they think. A lot of behaviors like aggression, predisposition to violence, Mm -hmm. even homosexuality, that can all be explained by brain structures. I'm not an expert on it at all, right? but 
I know this is true. So how does that factor into the whole God thing? Right. If you're predisposed to sin or predisposed to not believe, that shouldn't be your fault. That's how you were born. I had a, a problem with that, especially since I seem to be incredulous by birth. Right. I really wanted to believe, but I never really did. I felt like I had a handicap in that aspect. Why would God give me this brain? Why would he create me? It's almost like Calvinism, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're like, you're predestined to be whatever you're going to be, then why does it matter? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the Christian response to that would be, they would probably try to first dismiss that science has an explanation for right. predispositions to various and sundry things. So that would be the first thing. And they would just explain that all of those things are the result of sin, that the world is fallen, earth is fallen. And so by extension, we have all these problems. So it's not, it's not your brain structure. It's not chemicals. It's not any of that stuff. I mean, look how much Christians rail against psychology and the use of pharmaceuticals to help mental health issues. Yeah. And I won't say all because there are many Christians that believe in therapy and in medication and all that kind of stuff. So I'll make sure that that is said. But there's a large majority of Christianity. And I grew up in that thing where if you had a mental health issue, it was sin. It was you weren't trusting God enough. You weren't believing enough. You had hidden sin in your life or you had a demon. And these these explanations that you're saying, they just seem so mythological to me. Like they're mythologizing right. science and basic facts. It's like the whole, why is there pain in childbirth? Right. Because Eve ate the apple. Right. That is such a simplistic, childish, mythologized explanation for something biological that we right. have a complete biological explanation for. <laughs> right. We know why women have pain in childbirth, and it's right. not because Eve ate an apple. Next heretical objection. All right, so... We're winding down here, but the next one is that true belief is impossible to achieve without delusion. Talk about that one a little bit. Right. Well, there's no evidence for any of it, and belief is involuntary. It's a gut reaction based on the evidence that you see around you. Right. And if there's no actual evidence to support Christianity, then true belief in Christianity seems to me like it's impossible. Right. The only way you can believe it is to delude yourself into believing it. And I think that the people who really do believe it, because I know there are people who believe it, maybe they're better at deluding themselves, <laughs> that is true, than other people. Like, maybe I'm just not good at deluding myself. Yeah. Well, they would call it faith, not delusion. So, Right. I equate the two. Faith is delusional. Like, yes. yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think this kind of popped up in our discussion with April and Beecher, where I was talking about belief being a choice. And you pushed back on that. Oh, yeah, and, I did. <laughs> and I agree that belief is not a choice in the deepest sense of it. Like You don't choose what to believe. It's based on what you see around you. But then it becomes a choice if you want to change your beliefs. And I think that's something. Oh, yeah. You can believe a certain thing and you can delude yourself. You can have faith. But because of how our brains work, you have the ability to change that belief based on evidence. Yeah, I like what you said, that belief is not a choice, but the choice is what evidence to surround yourself with or to, to expose yourself to. Right. That might be an interesting topic for a future episode, the yeah. nature of belief and stuff like that. Yes, yes. I really want to do that. Yeah. Next heretical objection. All right, let's move on to our last uh, one, which this is a great one. And it is, if God exists, why is he so hidden? Yeah, I always felt like I could never find God. God never made himself known to me at any way. 
And to me, it seemed like reality was indistinguishable from there not being a God. I actually said this to my sister uh, recently, mm -hmm. and who is a Christian, yeah. and she kind of acknowledged this. She's really? like, yeah, this has always bothered me, that reality is indistinguishable from there being no God. Yeah, because there's no there's no proof except for like whatever you choose, whatever I mean, whatever you believe. So if you believe it by mm -hmm. faith, then it's real. There's the Bible. There's yeah. only the Bible. Right. And then anything else is like coincidence or signs that you interpret to be confirmation of your, that belief. Right. Yes. Yeah, so it's confirmation bias. And yeah. Yeah. And I think <laughs> I'm not sure how Christians would really explain this one either, because I don't think I ever really heard this topic ever addressed in my like divine hiddenness yeah i don't feel like i ever really heard it so I, like i'm trying to think that the way they would probably explain it is that well he wants us to believe by faith and to choose not to have to have the evidence because look at how jesus responded to thomas thomas said unless i see the nail prints i'm not going to believe and jesus said okay well i'll show you the nail prints but blessed are those that didn't need to see and yet believe yes yes we've circled all the way back around to where we yes, started to about yeah. About faith being a virtue and how really it's not a virtue. It's a, it's a delusion. You've deluded yourself into believing an entire system that governs your life. If God was there and he wanted to be known, he should make himself known. You shouldn't have to go yeah. on a where in the world is Carmen San Diego hunt for God. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Like, why would you stay so hidden if you're loving and you want to save humanity? Put it, put it in the sky. Make it easy. Yeah, it's like it's like in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when he's like, "Well, I didn't know anything about you knocking down my house for a interstate or whatever." Yeah, and he's like, "Well, the plans have been in the basement of City Hall for three years." Okay, <laughs> right. like I'm not, I'm paraphrasing. I don't know how long, but like it's that kind of mentality of like, right. "Well, I gave you this. Like, weren't you paying attention?" And yeah, the thing that you gave was the tiniest little thing. Right. That doesn't prove anything. Yeah, that's full of holes and it's full yeah. of flaws. Well, obviously, and full I'm of, talking about the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, so the whole thing is based on one book. But, and then every other religion has their one book. Has their own book. All right. Well, I think that was, that was pretty fun. Yeah. Fun discussion. I, th I mean, I find that fascinating, like the amount of questions that you had as a child looking back at it now. It's like, man, I wish I had some of those questions as, as a kid because well, I really would be curious to see like how like my parents would have responded. But that's the thing. Like I didn't really ask anybody these questions. Right. You just kind of internalized them. I just mulled them over in my head. Yeah. Yeah. That's Except for the evolution stuff. I did ask my, my parents a lot about like that, but that was it. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. I mean, I think the best thing that you might get out of this is that if you have objections and questions, it's okay to have them. You're encouraged to have questions. There is nothing wrong with having questions. The more questions, the better. And the other upside is, is that there's a whole bunch of data and evidence out there to either prove or disprove and answer your questions for you. So if you want the answers, you can find them. They're out there. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Join us next time where we continue to tackle the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Thanks again for listening and follow us on our social media platforms at Flawed Theology Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And listen to us wherever you find your favorite podcasts and be sure to give us a five-star review. Appreciate it. Thanks. And we'll talk to you next time.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Join us next time. This isn't on here. <laughs> I know. I forgot we don't usually do I'm Phil and Susie at the end. Oh, here's our outtakes. You want me to wing this? Come on. All right, let's do that. We'll just do it like similar to the intro. <laughs> Didn't we just do it? Sure. I guess. <laughs> but I think I might have been talking through it. I could splice it. <laughs> we could splice it. It'll be like, here, answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> It'll sound like Stephen Hawking is on our show, which would be, that'd be a great get. We brought him back from the dead. We brought him back from the dead. Jesus lives. It's a miracle.